We are so happy to be back. It's been a cold week and a half without carpooling, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I've been literally freezing, but that's for a different reason. That's true, Hunter. How was how was the uh, the cold red north? It was good. Yeah, I did. I say where I went? I think I, we said you went to Ukraine. I went to Ukraine. Yeah, I was doing some work with some orphans up there, which or is super fun. I like to call it West Russia. West. <laughs> you and Putin seem to agree on that, <laughs> which is dark. Did sad. you uh, did you uh, enjoy? Communism? How did you feel about that? So, was it working out? Ukraine isn't a communist country. Yeah, I know they pretend not to be. Okay. Yeah, very, very corrupt. But anyway, so we should we should tell the people what we're doing. We should tell the people what we're doing, guys. We have a very special episode of Carl Pulling today. We are joined in the car by the second Chris. Um, it depends on how you're counting. It's the, he's the second Chris to be on the show. He is the first Chris to enter this mortal coil. Everyone, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Chris. What's up, everyone? Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, I met Chris uh, a while ago. I guess it was about, man, just over a year ago? Uh, yeah. Somewhere in there? Yeah, a little over a year ago. And he is uh, an actor, and he uh, does does some directing as well. He's And a writer. <laughs> and a writer. He does whatever you need him to do, honestly. <laughs> and uh, he part of the reason that we have him on the show today is because of his expertise and proficiency in writing especially i would say we wanted to talk a little bit more about narrative we've kind of been uh, deep in the uh, bowels of politics and uh, philosophy and science and that kind of thing and of course we're going to get into some philosophy here but we wanted to get back to uh, some narrative so we brought him on the show specifically today to discuss story circle and uh, the hero's journey etc and maybe talk about why that's important. So, Chris, do you want to just introduce yourself uh, better than I just tried to? <laughs> uh, you said it pretty well, Chris. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, or Christopher. Sorry. I guess for this episode, I'll be going by Chris. You'll be going by Christopher. Sure thing. Just to help differentiate. But yeah, no. I know for me, like you know, I've known you, but when I listen to your podcast, I think the first episode I listened to was King of the Moment. So I know for me, that really brought me in, listening to that two-part series you guys did. Sure. Also, I had never seen the movie Count of Monte Cristo before, so after listening to your episode, I actually went to Amazon, bought the Blu-ray, yes. watched it, and instantly fell in love with it. It's yes. now It's now personally in my, like, top ten favorite movies. Seriously? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it that much. It's, wow. Like, especially once you start scratching below the surface of that movie, it just becomes an epic masterpiece. It really is. On top of that, it has like, it has that little something for everyone. I I adore that film. Girls will love it. Guys will love it. Girl guys will love it. Everybody's going to have a great time. (laughs) It's so inclusive of you, honey. I'm very inclusive today. So 21st century. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Also, just a quick uptake. We're, since the last time we announced uh, how many listeners we had, we're about double that. So we're Hunter's edging ever closer to getting the king of the moment tattoo with me. I don't want so, it. So uh, tell your friends. <laughs> tell your friends. Ruin his life. I don't. I don't know how I'm going to make that work. I also thought of something about tattoos, and this is this is my tangent for for this episode. Sure, your one tangent. My right? one tangent. I'm going on. Uh, you have to stay still. That kind of sucks because it hurts a lot. I'm going to sedate you. Okay, that actually sounds wonderful. By so either medical or mechanical means. I don't think I could do that. Like, that seems really hard. And I'm already a little fidgety and twitchy. Like, 
okay, so that's that. That's me. I'm not, I'm really worried about how that's going to turn out if it ever happens, but yeah. Plus Hunter hates needles and blood. Uh, yeah. Um, which is funny because your wife is a nurse. Yeah, it's really funny. She's the like addicted to blood or something. I don't know exactly what nurses do or why we need them. Uh, so anyway, let's jump right into it. So I am a hero's journey dabbler, but definitely novice. So Chris, I was hoping like you could start us out um, with just going through what the basic points along the hero's journey are and their significance, and maybe a little bit how you maybe utilize them when you're writing a, a piece or anything like that. Let's jump in. Yeah, so the main thing about hero's journey is that it's a cycle. So the hero embarks on his journey, goes through all these different changes, and then he's eventually going to come back to where he began. But the thing that makes it so unique is that he will have had a major change. So even though he's back in this familiar land, it's a question of, is our hero really familiar himself anymore? So you think of like major movie franchises that employ this and that audiences just constantly love over and over to see again, where you got uh, franchises like The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Pirates of the Caribbean. They all employ what's essentially this hero's journey sure. technique. And the thing with Hero's Journey, too, is that, like, if you read the book by uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces, he's this dude that came up with, well, he didn't come up with Hero's Journey, but he's most famous for having pointed it out and taking in, like, all of these different mythological stories from all over the world and realizing, like, wait, there's some universal story that all of these different cultures and civilizations somehow inherently recognized of what makes a good story. I think that's so interesting because the the idea of the story isn't, you know, a lot of times maybe the way that we conceptualize in our in our feeble feeble imaginations before we really study what's going on here. A lot of times we think that a story is about going from where you are now to where you want to be. It's about making that journey. But the hero's story, which as you pointed out, is actually derived from the aggregate of many different stories. It's kind of the extrapolation or the archetyping of many different stories into one grand narrative is this idea that the point isn't to move yourself from the place you are to the place that you want to be. It's that you're supposed to change. You change what's within you. And I think that that idea is absolutely sitting on a bedrock of deeper truth and that is probably what makes these stories the most common stories ever told and also the most interesting you know uh did you did you i don't i don't know if christopher did did you ever play the game journey chris no yeah oh yeah you're, remember you're Night. christopher I'm chris. <laughs> i did <laughs> i said it right so christopher's no chris is no, I've not played it. No, okay. I, I, wait, isn't that the one where you're like a little guy with a scarf walking through the sand? Yeah, oh, I yeah. have played it. It's like it's an actual like video game representation of Joseph Campbell's book because it's like no context, no nothing's happening. Like it doesn't tell you the story. Everything's light, sound, and you're moving this little character. But like you go through the cycle essentially, and like the game starts at the or ends at the beginning. And like re really lets you go back in and like redo it, but like it's really interesting because it, it just fits nicely into like that concept. It's 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 just like the other movies. It's just an explanation of um, it's how it's like now, how engaging that idea can be without, without any of the text to go along with it. Just yes. the subtext of that idea where 
you gain experience and you become something more than what you were and then return to where you started and reevaluate that based on the experience that you had. It's a super interesting idea that doesn't need a whole lot on top of it to make it better, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So anyhow, Chris, let's start back to you. So I, I think for me and for a lot of the listeners, you know, we get the basic concept of what the typical hero's journey looks like and kind of where it came from. But what are our stops along the way that that shape that re, that return to the beginning and that journey in general? All right, well, the, the first major step is that the hero is actually willing to step out of their comfort zone. Because I think, you know, from the beginning, that's what makes these stories so relatable is because all these people that are going to become these grand big heroes, they start off as an average normal unimportant person sure like you got like Katniss Everdeen in Hunger Games where she's just you know this poor girl in District 12 Luke Skywalker he's just a farm boy he's just a moisture farmer yeah <laughs> just farming moisture all he wants to do is go to Tachi Station and pick up some power converters <laughs> or um, Will Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean a lot of people think that Jack Sparrow is the hero in Pirates of the Caribbean but he's really not at least on the first movie that's why the first movie is so great because in the first movie, it's really Will Turner who's going through the hero's journey and sure. going through the major change. Right. And Jack Sparrow is actually the mentor, which is actually another very important figure when the hero starts off on the journey, is that there's someone to kind of help set them off and you will either give them a gift or will tag along on the journey helping look out for them. So another major character you see in all these stories where you've got you know Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, where the, or... Um, uh, what's Lawrence Fishburne's character's name in Matrix? Why am I blanking on that? Morpheus. 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 There, we there we go. Yeah, Morpheus. You're down yeah, yeah. the rabbit hole, Neo. Yeah. And that's exactly it, too. And it could be that the mentor is presenting the choice of, are you willing to go on this journey? Like Obi-Wan telling Luke, like, come with me. Right. You yeah. know, that there's always well, that sort let's of... Let's go to Alderaan. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's that invitation. And this is the other thing that's unique of what makes the hero so human and relatable at first is there's always that moment of doubt there's always that what's called refusal of the call so there's like the call to adventure and then there's the refusal of the call exactly where yeah. the hero's like i can't do this like i'm not supposed to like luke skywalker like oh no i'm not supposed to go fight the you know fight with the rebellion like what are you talking about mm. yeah he, all... he tells uncle owen or that he's going to stay on for another season and then when obi-wan's like Come with me to Alderaan. Here's your father's lightsaber. He goes, no, I gotta stay here through the season. Family. My uncle needs exactly. me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the thing that's always important to know about Hero's Journey too is that it's not always so concrete. Where it's like, oh, there must be a specific call to adventure, a refusal of the call. So like you know, like in Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen's call to adventure is that you know it's her sister is in danger. That, yeah, is in danger. So she sacrifices herself in that moment, being like, all right, you know, that famous I volunteer as tribute line. Right. So, you know, she doesn't get a chance to say, oh, I don't want to do this. I, in, in a way, I think, like, the refusal to the call is baked in in that, in the call to adventure. The It's obviously assumed that making that choice is incredibly difficult. But the stakes are so high, she doesn't have time to meander about, like, let's say, a Will Turner or a Luke Skywalker. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, but, I, but it's not that it's it's necessarily missing. It's just... It's a already, variation. It's already in the cake, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's a variation. Because that's one thing important to realize with stories. Because one thing I've learned just from my journey as a writer and other writers I've met is that, especially when you're learning writing, they, in like, you know, film classes and things like that, they always try to teach it in this very 
step-by-step way of like, okay, by this page, you should have had this. At this point, this needs to happen. And a lot of people end up with very average, mediocre stories. Right. Sure. So formulaic. Exactly. Yeah. Formulaic. Yeah. There, there's one book that a lot of uh, screenwriters read called Save the Cat. Have either of you ever heard of this? I've never heard of this. So it's this Wait guy. A Chris, were you telling me about this? I don't know if I no, did or not. No, no. Okay, never mind. Sorry, yeah. someone else just mentioned that book to me in the past few days. Oh, interesting. Anyhow, go ahead. Yeah, so it's a book where if you've never written a screenplay and you're like, I've got no clue how to write one, like how a film story works, it is a good book to read if you know nothing because it gives you very step-by-step of by page 15, do this. By page 20, do this. Interesting. So it's very like paint-by-numbers of like, you know, draw threes in green, four in yellow, kind of like that where you never learn how to paint. It helps give you a, what a picture should look like. So it's kind of like that where it helps you with what a screenplay should look like, but as we said a moment ago, it's so formulaic, and a lot of people never grow out of that. They think, mm. oh, this is the way to go. This is the way to do it. Yeah, I, that, I know my three-page paragraph, or my three-part thesis. This is this works for writing everything. Yeah. Exactly, sure. exactly. And, you know, the art of it gets lost, because that's the main thing with these stories, and, you know, back to Hero's Journeys, the main reason that we love these stories is to be entertained. So okay. even though there might be universal things shared in common, there's no hard and fast rule. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, I think that it's a combination. Yeah, definitely no hard and fast rule, but it's not that a rejection of the formula is good inherently. It's almost, uh, it's almost, well, like when I write music, for example, you can write a really poignant, sad song, and if the song is like, I'm so sad because you left me, it's not a good song. The idea is to wrap up the more complex feelings that you're having in a subtle and engaging way. That's what makes the song go from being amateurish to something you know spectacular, I think, even though you might be talking about the same idea. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is that you don't want to buck tradition for the sake of bucking tradition and you don't want to shirk formula for the sake of itself however because that's what makes a story human like part of the reason these stories are engaging is because they're exceptionally human and we relate to them when you go and watch a film that you can't understand the motivations of any of the characters it it ceases to be meaningful now it might be interesting from an artistic perspective in a certain sense but it's not something that really sticks with you so the point i'm uh, the point i'm getting at is that it's not an outright rejection of the formula to reject the formula's sake, but more a mastery of a certain element of the formula so that you can tell subtle, complex stories Absolutely. in interesting ways. Yeah. Like, another music analogy is, like, you know, if you've ever learned to play jazz, you right. definitely got to know your classical music stuff first, because jazz, you're really breaking all the rules, yeah. but you got to know what you're doing first. You, you have to know the rules to break them. Exactly. And break them at the right time. Exactly. Right? For sure. For sure. Okay, so we've got the call to adventure we have the refusal of the call and that's that's kind of what sets up the plot uh in a story and what comes next so after that it's the hero crossing into the threshold and so this is the character breaking out of his normal everyday world and now entering this new grand big world that he or she is discovering for the first time and the audience is going to discover it with that character so this is Luke going with Obi-Wan to the, the Mos Eisley Cantina and meeting all these rogues and people like Han Solo and Chewbacca. This is, you know, Katniss going to the Capitol. This is Neo actually now realizing, oh wait, the Matrix is actually the world I thought was normal. Turns out it's something else entirely. Sure. And, and this is always the point too where we suddenly meet all these new 
characters, and they're usually always the very interesting characters that are going to be uh, sort of the tag-along characters joining the journey. Right. Mm. Aragorn. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of, too. Like, yeah. I think he's, like, the perfect, like, oh, you're not you're not in the Shire anymore kind of character. Exactly. That sort of works. When he, when exactly. He, like, in uh, The Fellowship, when he fends off the wraiths Race. on top of that hill. Knows what they are, calls them by name. Yeah, it's like, exactly. this, this is a creature of nightmares. How do you know what this is? Yeah. yeah. It's always... It's, it's always kind of interesting, too, because that character lives beyond the threshold. Yes. Yeah. Right? They're, they're a part of the nightmares. They're in Nietzsche's abyss. Exactly. And I was about to say, that's exactly what usually makes them such badass characters. Like, think of Han Solo, where, you know, the whole, like, who shot first thing, because we know he's this rogue where he's part of this cutthroat world. Right. right. And, and, you know, the original film you know he shoots Greedo without even thinking twice because yeah he's part of that world where being nice gets you killed right, right exactly. exactly so the, Whoa, character, the character Jinx, you owe me a coke crosses this threshold <laughs> and they're, they're thrust uh I owe you nothing <laughs> okay fair <laughs> they're enough they're thrust into uh a, for better or worse the abyss um even if that abyss is just an emotional abyss or a relation a relational abyss you know so they're cast into the abyss and then my, from what I understand, they get presented, don't let me, if I'm totally wrong, just say I'm wrong, but this, somewhere in this arc is where they're presented with a choice. Uh, I'm actually not entirely sure. It could be. I mean, there's, honestly, it's really every step of the journey is a choice and that, that's are they going to keep going forward? Yeah, but no, but this is sort of the, where the, the first big brush with danger, like you mentioned with, you know, Frodo and Samwise, you know, with the wraiths and all that. This is usually that moment where the characters are realizing, oh, that, yeah, this is serious. Like, I, you know, could potentially die because, you know, it's not safe. It's not, you know, um, secure in the fact of will I make it back or not. Sure. There is that very real chance that they could die. Right. Yeah, and so uh, and I'm trying to think of other comparisons because movies are the easiest to find comparisons in. Like another film is uh, Scott Pilgrim. Scott huh. Pilgrim does a good job of following the hero's journey as well, where yeah. Scott has his first battle with the evil X, and realizing like, oh wait, there's going to be more to come, and this actually could kill me if I'm not careful. <laughs> yeah, mm. uh, ex ex boyfriends are a mess. I, <laughs> so the choice I was talking about. Um, Maybe I, I might be skipping a step, so maybe I maybe I shouldn't. But the the choice I'm talking about is, at least what I see in a bunch of stories, is do I become a part of this world, or do I try and preserve something of where I come from? You know, like Frodo, for instance, gets the ring, and he's presented with this choice. Do I turn into Gollum, or do I try and preserve my humanity a little bit? Because the truth of the Abyss is that it, it requires an answer, you know, it requires hard, lay off the horn, honey, we're, uh, we're filming, or we're recording a podcast over here. We're filming a podcast over here. We're filming a podcast, an audio experience. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyhow, the, uh, there's at least an internal struggle that I usually see at this point where you cross the threshold where the environment demands you to be hardened. And there's a couple different ways to do that. It's either to become a denizen of the abyss, which um, that doesn't make a bad story. Uh, sometimes that makes a fantastic story. Or it's this choice to try and maintain your humanity in a certain sense. Yeah, every character is going to go through that opportunity of, will this evil I'm fighting, will it actually 
turn me. Right. Like, you know, Luke Skywalker, when he enters a literal cave and has that imaginary fight with Darth Vader, and, you know, right. like, ki- you know, cuts his head off and then sees in the mask his own face. His own face, exactly. Yeah, Those are the kinds of things I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's always going to be that opportune moment for the writer to give the character a moment of, like, being like, am I really going to be the hero? Because that's the thing, too. No one wants to see a hero who's always like, I'm goody two-shoes, I always know what's right. Right. Because, again, in order to relate to an audience, people in real life are always making a choice of, you know, trying to do the right thing. And sometimes, you know, it's always it can be a little gray in that sort of area of, like, mm, well, right. is this really that bad? I don't know. You know, that sort of deal. Right. I think I think it's such a brilliant conceptualization because that that choice, although usually in narrative, maybe it presents itself once or maybe twice, uh, but in in I would say our daily lives, that's a constant choice in a certain sense. Um, we'll, we'll get more back into the significance of it later, but I think that I think that you're continually operating on that choice. So, at any rate, you would now be on the threshold. And we are interacting with strange new terrors, etc. What's next? This is the thing, too, where now in Hero's Journey, it's honestly been a while since I've read Hero's Journey. I know that Joseph Campbell has certain step-by-steps, but honestly, this is now where things kind of branch out a little bit and stories do different things. But from this point on, the main things that are going to happen is where there's going to be a, a first smaller battle with the enemy. And usually the hero is going to manage to escape, but it's that realization of, I'm not strong enough, and I'm going to need to learn more in order to defeat this evil. Right. Mm-hmm. So Luke Skywalker, when in the Death Star, you know, approaching the innermost cave to get the prize, you know, where they're going to save the princess, and then, you know, they get out of that, but in the process, Obi-Wan gets killed. Right. And Luke Skywalker is realizing, holy crap, I may not be ready for this. Right. Okay, and so uh, let me ask you this, because I've, I've read it uh, similarly a long time ago. There's this idea of the father in, in the story circle, hero's journey architecture. I, and I know there's like meeting with the father and meeting with the goddess and reconciliation with the father. What, what, and if you don't know, just pass, but what is the father typifying in that architecture? I'm honestly not sure. I know this is something that a, a renowned psychologist, Jordan Peterson, likes to bring up about, you know, like saving your father in the belly of the whale. Right, but yeah. But I'm honestly not sure, because it's definitely one, uh, more of a sub-step. So, I'll lay it on to Star Wars. Yeah, it's definitely a sub-step. I'll lay it on to Star Wars for a second. So, in Star Wars, a lot of people think that the enemy is... is... Darth Vader? Darth Vader. You're welcome. That's not exactly true. The enemy is Palpatine. Right. Do you know his first name? Uh, $10 to anyone who can tell me his first name. Wait. Wait, in Star Wars lore, he has a first name? Yes, and it sucks. It's Kui. What? What? It's like, it's, yeah, it's dumb. (laughs) Uh, I I was going to guess Chancellor next, so Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm actually happy it's Kui. Kui Palpatine. Anyhow, um... (laughs) The, uh, in my, He's the in my yeah, and here's the thing: yeah. the the father, like Jordan Peterson would say, lives inside the abyss, and he is this thing that you have to reconcile with. He's this thing that you have to contend with. Oh. So in Star Wars, meeting with the father is when you know um, Darth Vader eyes Luke down and slashes his mentor in half, right? Right. And then 
the reconciliation with the father is in the throne room and the way that when when Vader comes full circle as a character right um, but the way that Luke reconciles with the father is he has to look the abyss directly in the face mm-hmm. and say I I can I can as Jordan Peterson would put it I can stare long enough into the abyss until the abyss stares back at me which is like exactly what's happening directly in uh, the first the first Death Star when Obi Wan uh, is is struck down, the yep. abyss is literally staring back at Luke, and then in the throne room in the last movie in Jedi, Luke faces the abyss down, and he become you know he becomes enraged. He starts fighting with passion and all of these things that are typically anti Jedi, and he finds out what he can be from allowing the abyss to stare back into him and then past that point after the abyss starts staring into him as Jordan Peterson would put it he he finds out who he can be wrapped in the great ancestral figure that gives him the ability he needs to overcome the tragedy that is inherent in the story yeah. So, so anyway, that, I think that idea is super important. We'll, I, I think we're going to get back to it later. Well, but. something that just came to mind that's really interesting, and again, what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, breaking hard and fast rules, but, you know, more variation. Think of uh, Avengers Endgame. Or not Endgame, because that's what's coming out. Uh, sorry, Infinity War. That, that came one. out last year. And if you haven't seen it, like, uh, do you live under a rock? So yes. when Thanos, the answer is yes. Yeah, when Thanos it. throws Gamora down into that abyss, mm-hmm. it's kind of sort of a reversal. Instead of you know with the father, it's with the daughter, right. and that he's willing to sacrifice her in order to get the soul stone. Wait, right. is Gamora yes. Thanos' daughter? Yeah, well, adopted Spo- daughter. Okay. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert. For real, if you don't know this, then you don't care. Right. <laughs> As Christopher just showed. I truly could not care less about superhero movies. Yeah. Um, and we, we can get into why later. But, okay, so you, you enter the outer realm. You contend with it. How do we get home? So, usually, at least in Joseph Campbell's step it's kind of the hero is retracing his steps he's going back the way he came back home and along the way back home the bad guy will show up again for one final battle but this is what i meant when i was saying earlier that it's in these later steps that you don't see the rules really played out exactly that same way in uh movies but there is but there is that metaphorically in that sense where you know Luke, you know, he's now on his way to becoming a Jedi. He's now declaring himself a Jedi. And before, he's able to go back to being in peace, essentially, back to not having to live in fear, you know, when he was a farm boy. He has to face, you know, Palpatine and his own father one final time. You know, Katniss Everdeen, before she can go home and just rest in District 12, she needs to make sure that Emperor... or is it Emperor Snow or no President Snow? Whatever. You Doctor know. Snow. Donald Sutherland. Donald she to, Sutherland. <laughs> Snow. She needs to make sure Donald Sutherland is dead. And, <laughs> and, and in a way, don't we all have to make sure that Donald Sutherland is dead? <laughs> and that brings us to the real purpose of this podcast. <laughs> Everyone, no, please sign my no, petition. No, no, that is a call to action. <laughs> no, oh crap! I can't do that. I can't actually do that on the radio. My oh. bad. So right now is the refusal of the call. Refuse yeah. that call. Everybody, right now, in your own personal space whether you're listening to this show please refuse the call um. but yeah so there's all, there's going to be that one final battle before the character can make it home and so you know that's with 
Frodo finally at Mount Doom throwing the ring. That's Neo. Well, kind fa- of throwing it, kind of having it bit off his finger. Either way, <laughs> the point is he did the right thing, even if just by chance. That, yeah. That was a cool thing Tolkien did there because it's like the monster might be you the whole time. Well, and we're definitely getting back to that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, or Neo, you know, taking down the Matrix one last time. It even has this sort of uh, Jesus Christ parallel moment where his, you know, hands are stretched out and he's you know, like making like a cross shape as, you know, like, you know, the Matrix is, like, trying to tear him apart, and he's tearing it apart back. And, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, Scott Pilgrim, as he's facing the one final evil ex, but this time he's learned, I'm not doing it for her, I'm doing it for me. That he's had that... So key. So key. Yeah, yeah he's had that uh, chance to realize, like, no, 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 self-respect is what's important here. So that's a, a very important thing, too, is that by this point, we've seen a noticeable change in the hero that you know they've gone through the physical battles and they've gone through internal battles and we now see clearly they are no longer the same person even as they're facing this final battle we already see that the reason why they're able to face this final battle is because they've changed like a, another movie that comes to mind uh, Moulin Rouge which yeah. might be seen as a random example it's like what isn't that the musical <laughs> but again it's the stuff you can find in any type of story where Ewan McGregor's character you know, when he thinks, like, oh, I've lost the love of my life, I've been kicked out of the Moulin Rouge, I've lost everything, she no longer loves me, but he's going to go back into that world one last time for that one final stand. Exactly. I, I, think, I think what you said is so key. I, a lot of times, at least at the layman's um, analysis of a story, the enemy is the great evil that must be defeated. Uh, and bested, and that's what's going to return the world to its proper state, right? That's when you get to go back home eventually. Exactly, yeah, because in this final battle, if the character is not willing to face it down, then everything that they've gone through has been for naught. Like, you know, it's been a waste of their time, essentially, and they've just been defeated, and that's not fun for an audience to see either. No audience wants to see, oh, the, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Will Turner and Jack Sparrow are not able to kill the skeleton pirates right you know like or hunger games that oh she wasn't able to turn down the capital she's just going to go back to district 12 being like all right well i i tried and i failed i i I don't think those stories are worthless i I, like i understand what you're saying it's not it's not an m it's not a story you wish to emulate but as a cautionary tale i do really love those hopeless stories that say and, and and we'll get into why but but to your point, they have to be willing to face it down. But what we realize, I think, when you take a deeper look under the hood, is it's not the enemy that really required defeating. Defeating the enemy is probably a net positive, but it doesn't change the world. What changed the world was the hero's own ability to defeat the darkness within and to augment themselves in such a way that they become an effective individual. So that both allows them to keep the malevolence at bay in whatever fo- form that foil takes, if it's Palpatine, if it's, um, uh, you know, the skeleton pirates and Barbosa, whoever it is. But more importantly than that, they became the kind of person that can face the malevolence head on and do battle with it and come out victorious. It, it's, and, and you see it when they return all the way home. They are different. And sometimes that has good consequences and and bad consequences or or at least painful consequences like yeah frodo comes to mind you know he comes home back to the shire and he can't 
live in that world anymore because it's not a world he recognizes anymore. But he's changed himself so fundamentally that he was able to combat the insane evil of the world and come out, if not grinning, standing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and what you are saying a moment ago, that there are stories that make good cautionary tales, I definitely agree, but I feel that uh, stories that make good cautionary tales, it's not that they tried and they failed, but it's that they, at least the ones that tend to be really good cautionary tales, it's that they went through, you know, they entered that threshold, but they didn't stay good. They became evil. So you got the classic story of Macbeth, or mm -hmm. a modern story, Breaking Bad. With Walter White, you know, we see that he started out as this great character where, you know, he's like a good person. And the whole reason why he gets into that whole world of uh, making meth was to protect his family. Like, he's not doing the right thing. But we he's can, doing the wrong thing for the right reason. Exactly, and it's something that again the audience can understand. But by the end of the fifth season, though, he's completely changed. And the cautionary tale is because when he gets to that point of saying, like, "Yeah, I could have stopped if I wanted to, but I didn't because I came to like it." Right. Because that's the part that, like, yeah. see, that's the thing about Breaking Bad that's so interesting too is like you actually f find out that not only did Walter White make the decision at first because he wanted to help his family but the entire time at the back of his mind he was saying like even from the beginning I'm finally going to get the respect I deserve yeah and it's like he, that's why he he even fits the anti-hero mold even like even better is because he's like he was always a turd he was always in it for himself and he was always just trying to make money even though he had a good way to package it and so that's a really good lesson to like Make sure you know what your motives are. Make sure you know why you're acting in some way because you're really good at lying to yourself. Right. That's uh, mm -hmm. so. That's so well said. The the and and it's the same. It's the same thing that we're getting at here. The malevolence that killed Walter White wasn't external. Exactly. It was internal. Exactly. His failure to it, even though he was besought by cancer and by poverty and then later by criminal elements and different and the, the police all of those different outside forces that seemed like the antagonist the antagonist that proved fatal was inside of himself and his failure to augment that and and reshape his own his own self-actualization is what ended up doing him in right um so it's a, it's a brilliant point. Okay, I kind of want to. I I think we got the circle. We got. We can't. We come back, and d if we do it right, we're different, right? Um, I want to make this bigger because one thing that we were discussing in preparation for this show is that I don't think that the story influences culture, and in that we tell stories like this, and then culture folds themselves around the stories to. A, to assume the contours of that narrative, if that makes sense. I think it happens precisely the opposite way. I think that there's a fundamental underlying reality about humanity that makes these stories interesting to us and makes these stories appealing to us and that it, it travels necessarily in that direction. Um, and to couch it in, in um, I guess what you would call archaic language, during, the, during Genesis, Human, humanity fell out of the garden. We had the call to adventure, more or less, and we said, yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot at having the understanding of God, knowing in the back of our minds that the most powerful element in the universe 
was going to antagonize that decision and had expressly told us not to not to make that decision right and then we fell and there was hardship and we entered into a world that we didn't know and we were forced to contend with the malevolence contained in that world and now the goal is to return to the garden the goal is and we won't be the same person we were when we left because when we left our eyes were closed but now we took a bite of the fruit and our eyes are opened and our goal is to get back there on whatever strength is required and and the reason that that story is stuck around from the beginning of time is because there's something fundamentally true about it in my opinion and that's why all of our stories emulate that story uh, even the story of Christ is an archetypified version of the hero's journey in a lot of ways yeah yeah like um, I was telling you guys this but I had a professor a screenwriting professor and he was saying he happened to be a Christian he was saying that the and you know if you're a Christian you would think this if you're not well work big, on that big, yeah work on that <laughs> but that the story of Jesus it's the hero's journey come to life that this is like the only time in history where the hero's journey took physical form and happened because another thing too when you're taking writing classes you hear of like in the hero when they come when they go through like the darkest night like right before facing that bad guy like a lot of people will call that you know the sort of like Christ on the cross moment of like you know why hast thou forsaken me right. where it feels like all is lost right yeah so we see that in the story of Jesus of you know coming down to earth and the, his whole journey you know his three year ministry and then you know to his point on the cross where it's that moment of like unlike anything I've seen before where it's God suffering as a human for humanity right and and, and truly I mean truly paying the ultimate price in a way bifurcating his own psyche uh, separating himself from the infinite that he had always known you know and uh, the create the cool part about that especially if you've listened to our what is God episodes and you've listened to some of our musings about what God is and what he looks like and uh, what that means for him functionally, especially on the cross, um, he did return to where he came from. He did ascend to the Father's right hand, but uh, not before making a pit stop in hell. And he didn't come back the same. He came back with the ability to redeem humanity from his own father in a certain sense. And I know we're talking about one character, but that's what happened when he stared into the abyss. You know, he was able to he was able to make functional and make possible the redemption of humanity against the opposite. I can't speak. I'm going to pick a different word now. Against <laughs> against the um, the rigid the rigid structure and hierarchy set up by a perfect God. So. One, one thing I think that's been interesting, uh, Chris, that you've said, is like, you know, one of the reasons we make stories, we make films, we make all these things is because fundamentally people want to be entertained. And I, I think entertained is such an interesting idea because it's, it's on the surface, I get it, you know exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's that moment when you're enraptured in something and you aren't really thinking about anything else. You're just... This is interesting, and I want to observe it. And then, but then, but then, like digging underneath that is like, why? 
Like, why? Yeah. Like, I can show you a lot of things and you won't be entertained by them. What, but why does it crack through our ego? Yeah, exactly. Like, why, why does it break through that? And it's like, well, it's, I think the point that, that we're starting to make here is like, you know, the hero's journey is something that takes, that, that literally took place on Earth. And it's the story that we tell everywhere. Before it happened, before Christ came, but in different cultures that had different preferences, that had different, you know, roles for men and women, that so many things were broken from the mold and different, but this story stayed with them, if that sort of makes sense. And it's like, yeah, it's something like, it, that's weird. That's weird that that's so compelling. That's well, I, I think it's just part of that. It's just a universal mystery. Just as like, right. you know, we're talking about all these different cultures, you know, even though all these different cultures have had different societies and how they do certain things, there's still a shared, to some degree, a shared moral law. Right. Like, you know, in every culture, it's, you know, cowardly to run away in battle. You know, there's just certain universal truths where it's like, how is this all connected? And I think, you Except know, that... for the French, but yeah, generally. And that is what creates this mystery and, you know, what could get, lead to discussions on God, but... Um, the, the hero's journey shares that universal mystery of mm -hmm. how is it that we all know this story and we all want this story because right. that's the thing too that in hero's journey you know if something you know the hero says no I'm good and you know refusal like they literally refuse to call and don't continue on and that's the end of the story right there's not one person who's going to be like yeah no I, I agree I think that is what the character would have done and that was an enjoyable story for that moment like mm. no everyone would be really disappointed to be like no give me my money back change the story like right. why did you wrong. waste our time it's yeah wrong. Right. why is it wrong and, and it's it's so crucial to point out we I think Hunter you the question you raised is really interesting. Why does this story penetrate our ego so that we even care to to look into it? Mm -hmm. I think it's because the truth is every story that is the hero's journey is a story about us. Right. It, it, this is, this is, I think this is, it's like, here's the question we're trying to solve. How can I be something more than I can be? Absolutely. And if you really, really get underneath it, it's how can I be in the image of God? Yes. And that that's because you know it exists, you can't deny it, and that's what you want to be. You want to you want to act like you are the thing you are. How how can I how can I shave off every aspect of myself that isn't perfect? Exactly. And the answer is to face the malevolence. Right. Face the the tyranny and the tragedy of life. Yeah. And I think Chris to your point about uh, about these cautionary tales about these stories of failure where the hero fails to augment themselves in such a way in which that allows them to do battle with that chaos it's it's an interesting story because it tells us what not to do but the other piece of it is that it shows that even in our failure we have the ability to fundamentally change the world we all do mm -hmm. yeah and it raises the question then is it good enough not to do evil? The answer is no. You owe something to the world. You know what I'm saying? Because you're here. So those stories are compelling not only because they show what happens when, when let's say, good men do nothing, but, but uh, what happens when we fail to do positive good. You know what I'm saying? Right. The, the fact that you're here is not insignificant. And every time that you make a choice that is suboptimal 
you you don't put into the world something that could be there if you had if you had dealt with the malevolence forthrightly it's not enough to stare into the abyss you have to stare into it with determination and with morality so these characters that succumb to it and become the evil that they sought out to destroy they they debit the world's account in a certain way mm -hmm. and it's not only the story how can i become in the image of god but how can i how can i refuse to make things worse yeah and adding to that you know i think one thing that's this just came to mind that's really important is in how it relates to people in their day-to-day -day lives is you are going to have those moments where you're presented with a choice of you can go on this journey it's not going to be easy and there are people that you know no one wants to necessarily go on those journeys there might be that idea at first presented of oh adventure but if it's something truly challenging you know like you know Katniss Everdeen sacrificing herself for her sister in that moment you know there's gonna become a time where some people are going to say no I really don't want that because they're so scared mm. of the idea of danger of getting out of their comfort zone right because and this is the thing that all these stories share in common and that audiences love as well and that people go through in their day-to-day -day lives because so they always say you know the number one thing you need in story is conflict which is true but I think another key word that I don't really hear anyone talk about but it's so inherently true there needs to be struggle because yeah. okay. that is all we are ever guaranteed as human beings in the real world everyone's gonna share that in common is struggle could be different forms of struggle of but it's, there's always a form of struggle of you know, from the, the idea of, you know, struggling with cancer to struggling to ask out that pretty girl at school. Mm. Everyone is guaranteed struggle in this life. Wow. Right. And so that's the key thing in seeing these characters is that they're willing to say, I'm willing to face the struggle, go against it, and it could, you know, could even cost me my life, but I'm going to fight this. And yeah. that is the main thing that people love in seeing these stories. Why superhero movies are so popular. Superheroes are modern Greek myths. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people talk about the Marvel movies like, oh, they're not all being the same. They're all repetitive. But True. they are following the hero's journey, the Greek myths of old. And, you know, we see that, you know, it's again, these superheroes, it's these people, a lot of them, you know, some of them are superheroes off the bat like Thor. But they're still going through these choices of saying, I'm willing to do the right thing, go through the struggle, it may cost me my life. Now, in our day-to-day -day life, we may not be saying, I'm making a choice that's costing me my, li me my life. Right. That's what I meant in that there's this range of struggle, but that's what's relatable. Here's the problem I have with superheroes, is that they're Achilles, <laughs> they are modern Greek retellings, but their Achilles heels are so ham-fisted now. Um, which I don't even really want to get into. I'm just, I am so disappointed in superhero movies lately. Aw, Christopher. I know, I'm such a precious <laughs> snowflake. Um, but I think that's why I like Neil Gaiman's work on comics more, because he focuses more on Norse mythology, and I think Norse is, more, is better than Greek, so... It's so much better than Greek. There's, it's not even close. There's more beards. Fenrir is daddy. <laughs> Fenrir is daddy. Um, more okay. mead. Uh... Like, this is I'll a also great say, line. Fenrir eats the whole world. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, he's the wolf that eats the world and, and the, the moon. moon. Brilliant. Jinx, you owe um, me a Coke. I swear to Christ. <laughs> uh, I, I will say this, too. One thing that we, we've talked about people that are unable to overcome the malevolence inside them, and then they become the thing that destroys themselves. And there is an evil inherent to that, because I truly believe it's your moral responsibility to do good and to give to the world that which you were placed, to, placed here to give. But the other point that we haven't really addressed yet is that there are people out there, I don't know how much interesting stuff there is to say about it,
but there are people who are willing to struggle just to make it worse, just to make hell. You know? Oh, sure. But yeah. wouldn't that be like wouldn't that be like Palpatine? Like that's essentially his goal, right? Is to like bring everything under his control and domain and terror. Right. And so the question that that raises then is that is that is that the worst thing that we can imagine? I mean, for Palpatine, yes, it causes his destruction and destruction of lots of other people, but for Luke and Anakin, it it saves them. Um it, it's just another example that there's malevolence out there and I you know without getting political there's a lot of people that their goal is to silence the malevolence um, and, and silence anything they perceive as anything they perceive as uncomfortable or dark but the truth is is that as humans and part of the reason we go and watch these stories we need violence. We need malevolence. We need darkness. We have to contend with it forthrightly. We have to be able to look into the, look it in the face. You know, there's nothing noble about eliminating anything that has the potential to stop you. There yeah. is something noble about being willing to face it forthrightly. I think that, so I'm going to take it back to entertainment for a second after you said that. I think that's not only that you see like one of the, big parts of storytelling is like the story we tell right this circle but it's also violence and love yeah like i think the reason that those both come out is because you you, you're exploring those ideas like what is the most painful thing i can imagine is it might be a question a director asks themselves and then takes inspiration from the idea and then puts it into a movie right and that's like and that and it's like well you you don't necessarily know right now all the violent things that you're capable of but you definitely are capable of violence and you get that but you don't really want to acknowledge it like you kind of want to hide that from yourself right and movies are like a safe place to explore that and and it's because it is a story that's all about us not only one that is about us indirectly but one that we get up every day and we add a chapter to yeah the other piece of that hunter is that we and we've talked Uh about this on the show before, but it's quite possible that you can't truly become a moral human being with the knowledge of what to do that is correct and that is noble without acknowledging your capacity for evil. I don't think you can truly, you can truly realize the ultimate extent of your good until you realize the ultimate extent of your evil. Right. Like, and so yeah, the, you know, people that would say, you know, that uh, those other people, they're the evil ones. It's far more useful, especially in your own growth, to say, I know that I could be I could be Ted Bundy, given the right circumstances. It's why you Darth know? Vader is a useful character. Exactly. Because, because he's Precisely. completely understandable in episodes four through six. You know, he's like he, <laughs> nice time boxing. Yeah, there. <laughs> I'm, I'm making sure I did that. But you know, like he makes sense. Like you can see, a, you can see why he would do the things he would do, even though you may not know all the reasons. You can see why he would act the way he acts, even though you don't completely understand. And you get why he gets redeemed. And it's like, well, you should be able to put yourself in his shoes then and say, yeah, I could be that person too, and then be terrified of that. Awesome. I really like where this ended up, Chris. You got any closing thoughts? No, I think we've summarized things pretty well. I think, I mean, of course, there's certain things we could definitely go off on more. We really, you know, kind of scratched the surface on a lot of different things. Sure. So maybe in future episodes we can talk on more several other certain specific topics. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely covered quite a lot. We, I, speaking for Hunter and I, we'd love to have you back. So yes, uh, we will. We'll discuss that. I, I guess I'll just, I'll just tie it up like this: the enemy 
that is worth fighting is the enemy within. Make yourself into the person that you're called to be. Make yourself into the person that you can become. And do that by looking, looking chaos in the face and saying, I'm going to bear my cross forthrightly. You know, Jordan Peterson always puts it best, but... He, he says, when he's reading the verse, the meek shall inherit the earth, he said he didn't understand it at first because he didn't know why meek was a virtue. And as he dug into the actual, uh, the actual original commentary. text, it the, wasn't the about being... Bible Hub. Yeah, it wasn't about being meek. Mm -hmm. it, it was about being a monster. It was about, as he puts it, having a sword and knowing how to use it and then she, keeping, keeping it, sheathed. it sheathed. And there's something brilliant to that idea. And if, if you do that, you can find who you're supposed to be and be that person. And you, we have no idea what that can do to the world if we would, if we would make those choices. So uh, narrative, like we've mentioned a hundred times before, like we mentioned in the first episode, it's time to start paying attention to it, especially at this crucial nexus. So I'm glad we got to dig into that today and be, be a positive part of the story. Donate everything that you're intended to donate to the planet and to the species and to the idea of humanity as such. Uh, it's our responsibility. So, anyhow, that's been Carl Pulling. You can follow us at Carl Pulling on Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Emotional Carl. Chris is at Chris X Carl. You're welcome. Oh my God. <laughs> I you know, know you no got terrified. My breath. <laughs> I know. Um, that's right. Uh, on Facebook at Carl Pulling Podcast, you can find a link to subscribe to the show please subscribe to the show rate the show itunes spotify google play at our website carlpooling.com um, and you can send us an email at carlpooling at gmail.com or through our website we'd love to hear from you guys if you send us an email we will read it on the show so uh, don't write anything you don't want us to read out loud and then berate correct or at least say it in the mail well, Chris, it was great having you on the show. But Thanks for having me. Yeah, please get out of the backseat. We're home. <laughs> <laughs>